Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Every time I talk about this on Twitter, I get people who who just don't get it, where they're like, well, why don't you just use a laptop? And the answer is, I can't tear the screen off a MacBook Pro and make it a tablet. It doesn't, it doesn't work. For so many different reasons, it doesn't work. Uh, but I can do that with the iPad, and most of the time, my iPad is just a tablet. Unless I, I really am doing specific kinds of work. The iPad is what you want it to be. The iPad is a touch tablet, but if you want a trackpad, you can have one. If you want a keyboard, you can have one. If you want a pencil, you can have one. But it'll always be at its core a touch tablet, and the other stuff gets layered on if you want it. And Fairwrite, I think, is a perfect example where you can use any of those accessories, and in combination, you can use them to edit audio, or you can just use your hands holding it holding the ipad in your hand and you can do that too you can so it's whatever works for you it's happy to let you do whatever makes you happy and that that makes me happy this is the beauty of a direct interface that of touch that we all learned with the iphone and that the ipad also has i had been editing podcasts for you know whatever five six seven years and i had a moment where i felt like i've never touched the podcast before like i it really was that tactile a feeling where i was like i'm reaching out and moving parts of the podcast and it was so great welcome back to another episode of ivan pros i'm thrilled to share an interview i did with jason snell on this episode jason runs sixcolors.com and hosts many podcasts including upgrade liftoff and incomparable i reached out because jason recently posted on twitter a screenshot of him editing the end of the year incomparable clip show this is a podcast that needed to be edited vertically because of the great number of guests we discuss his evolution of working from the iPad and dive very deep into podcast editing. He shares some really great insights into his editing process, and I think most audio editors can learn a thing or two in this episode. As a reminder, you can support the podcast a few different ways. First off, if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, please head over to the podcast app on your iPad and leave a review. Every review really does help send the right signals to Apple to help more and more people discover this show. If you have as little as a dollar a month, you can also support the podcast on Patreon. It may not sound like it, but even a dollar goes a long way in helping with the production of this podcast, and you'll get the episodes in advance of release as soon as I'm done editing them. You'll have them. You can learn more at patreon.com slash iPadPros. That's patreon.com slash iPadPros. My sincere and heartfelt thanks to everyone that currently or has in the past supported the podcast on Patreon. Without further ado... Here's my interview with Jason. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thank you so much for inviting me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. I've wanted to have you on for a while, and I saw this crazy edit you were doing of The Incomparable and thought this was something we should talk about. Um, so we're going to dive into that later. You know, I post iPad screenshots on the internet sometimes because I know it... it I know I will always reach somebody, even though I do it uh, more, you know, a few times a year. I always reach people who have never seen anything like it before. And they're like, whoa, I can't believe that's on the iPad. So it was funny that you spotted that one because it does. It always has that effect on people. And that's kind of why I do it is 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 when there are particularly extreme moments of me using my iPad. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to share this one. This is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh yeah, we'll dive into the, towards the end of the interview here, but yeah, uh, you can do stuff on the iPad. Amazingly enough, turns out. <laughs> so, how long have you been doing work on the iPad? Like, when did it transition for you from like an entertainment device to something you can actually do work on? I, um, you know, I've always been intrigued with the iPad as an option. I, um, I definitely 
remember sitting at my in-laws table kitchen table um we went for a like long weekend in la i live up in the bay area and i just brought my ipad and a a bluetooth keyboard because i wanted to try it out and i remember sitting there and the ergonomics weren't very good because it was just sort of using its smart cover to prop it up and and just an apple wireless keyboard and but i do remember that as sort of my first attempt really to just sort of see how how could i do this um and it was very much a going beyond the software keyboard is sort of how I thought of it is you compare a Bluetooth keyboard to this thing. So what, you know, what if I just did that and, and what the challenges were? I would say I didn't really tackle it in earnest until the iPad Pro came out for the first time because of course the iPad Pro came out with the, um, the keyboard that was the, you know, the, the, what smart keyboard cover. And, uh, that was Apple saying, uh, this is a typing device. You can use this. I mean, there was a keyboard for the original iPad. Yes. <laughs> but uh, that weighed a ton because it had to keep it upright. And we had one at Macworld. And it was it was not a great accessory. But this was Apple really saying, it's iPad Pro. We're serious about this. Uh, there's the Apple Pencil. And there's this keyboard. And that's when I sort of set out. And I had a an aging macbook air 11 inch macbook air as my sort of primary uh, system for part of that time and i decided um when i traveled i was gonna see if i could do it with just the ipad and that sort of set me down the path and i have a distinct memory of sitting in my uh my sister-in-law's garden when we were visiting them for a weekend editing a podcast on my iPad and and then writing the show notes up using the the smart keyboard and uh, that was one of those moments some sort of seminal moments of like yeah here I am I'm doing this whole workflow and I don't have uh, a computer on my lap yeah my favorite use of that uh, original iPad keyboard is popping on an old iPod Touch onto it because it's just such a lightweight uh, little digital typewriter that way. But yeah, for the iPad, it's a bit awkward. Yes, yes. it it eh, You know, the original one, the, the idea there was that you were going to... What I liked about it is the idea was you're going to type in vertical orientation yeah. because that's where the dot connector was. <laughs> and uh, that was... It was kind of a cool thing. And in fact, when I'm writing... At, at home on the iPad, I will often pop it in a little stand and write in vertical orientation because the horizontal, you don't, you know, you don't actually want to read or write with very wide lines. It's actually better if the the lines are narrow. So I will use that orientation. But yeah, that, that, that as a, I, I wonder who convinced Steve Jobs that that was a launch accessory for the iPad because um, Apple, I mean, that's the thing people don't remember is like the iPad announcement also was an announcement of pages and numbers and keynote on iPad. And that was Apple laying down the gauntlet from day one in 2010 that the iPad was going to be a device that you, that was a computer and that you could do computer like work on because they brought out iWork with the iPad. It was it was absolutely the message from the beginning. But the truth is, it took them a while to to get there. And the iPad Pro, I think, is the moment where it was a much more serious attempt to get the iPad to be a, a, a general use productivity device. Yeah. If iWork didn't launch from day one, I don't think that keyboard would have been available. I think those two were like companions yeah, almost. I think it was a statement, just like iWork was a statement, that they wanted people to take it seriously in the long view as a computer, even though in the in, in reality it was not uh, a serious, as serious a computing device for the first few years of its existence. Yeah. In that vertical typing, I'd love if a future Magic Keyboard could somehow have a pivot 
a swivel kind of mode, but that'll be hard engineering to make that happen. A lot, a lot of weird ergonomics there because I think there's the whole put it on your lap thing is yeah. is a pretty strong thing. But but I do love it when I'm sticking it in a stand and and standing up at my in my kitchen actually at the at the bar. I just put it on there in vertical mode with a with a Bluetooth keyboard or a USB keyboard, and I just type and it's great. Yeah. So what role does the iPad play today in your life? I know you do a lot of writing in BB Edit, which is a Mac app. So w- yeah. what do you use the iPad for these days? So for the most part, for the last, I would say, five years, six years, I have been a dual platform guy where my desktop computer was a 5K iMac and is now a uh, an iMac Pro. I have a I have a nice sit stand desk and I have a, an iMac and I do have BB Edit and all the usual kind of stuff and I do most of my podcast recording at the iMac like this one. But what happened after, especially after I left uh, MacWorld and kind of went out on my own, is although I had the 11 inch MacBook Air still. I didn't use it. Instead, when I would leave, I work in my garage. So when I would leave my my workplace and go into the rest of our house, I didn't want to bring a laptop with me and I always had my iPad with me. And so, you know, uh, that, a combination of that and when I was traveling, this idea that I love using my iPad. My iPad is my sort of default lean back computing device. If I, I you know, it's the device I use the most. Um, and when I was traveling, it, not bringing the iPad was not an option. So I started to think, do I need to bring the laptop? Because I don't want to bring all these devices if I can help it. And so you put that all together. And what, what I ended up with was my iPad Pro. I'm, we're not doing a lot of travel right now, obviously, but my iPad Pro is my travel device. And it is also my in-the-house device. And I don't, you know, and the Mac is my sitting-at-my-desk device. And so, you know, basically, I buy an M1 MacBook Air, and I'm using that a little bit in a few configurations where it's kind of nice to have a laptop around for the most, mostly like on the weekend when I need to do something on the computer and it's really cold out in the garage and I don't want to go out there, I'll grab the laptop and use it. But mostly what I did was I replaced my laptop with an iPad and, and I still use the Mac on the desktop, but whenever I'm not sitting here where I am right now at my desk in my garage, I am on the iPad. So what are some of the core tasks that you do for the laptop things you used to do on your 11 inch MacBook Air. Well, I mean, back in the back in the day, the MacBook Air was everything. So I would watch movies on it, and I would look at Twitter on it, and I would check my email on it, and I would surf the web on it, and you know, all of those things started to fall out because they're all much easier on the iPad because you can pick up an iPad and it's a tablet and you can hold it in your hands, and it's just a a much more pleasant device for those kinds of tasks. What flipped it over for me was yeah, having a text editor, having a podcast, like an audio editing app. Being able to do those last, knock off those last things that are like, oh, I've reached the end of the iPad. I need to go get my MacBook Air in order to continue. And the more of those I could kind of knock out and say, I don't need that anymore. I ended up in the place where I just had, uh, I just had the iPad. So, you know, for me, as a writer and a podcaster, it really was podcast editing, podcast recording to a certain extent. That's still problematic, but it's there are workarounds and and the writing part, which is why the introduction of the keyboard was so great, because although the the smart keyboard isn't fantastic, it was a it was attached to the iPad and weighted in a way that it was like you could use it much more as a laptop 
And before that, you were sort of in the case where you you could have like a Bluetooth keyboard and there might be a place to stick the iPad, but it was not quite as smooth a transition and and, and that it was a cover so you could just leave it on and carry it around. And I really liked that. You could snap the iPad into some like heavy keyboard covers. But like I just said, what I really like about the iPad is that it is light. And most of the time when I'm using it, I'm just using it to scroll through Twitter and look at Slack and look at email. And so, you know, when the, when the smart keyboard came out, that was a more having, you know, the keyboard and the iPad available and, and for it to be a writing device really kind of knocked it over the edge for me. Yeah. So what's your current setup these days? I have the 2020 iPad Pro and the Magic Keyboard. I used for a lot of years, I used a keyboard case from Bridge, which they still make, which is a really nice uh, keyboard mechanism and a couple of clips and you slide the iPad in and it turns it into a, a MacBook, basically. It turns it into a laptop. And the beauty of it is it's just slid in on these two little clips so you pop it right back out when you're done. You don't... A lot of the other keyboard cases, like I said, you you have to sort of snap them in and it, it's actually kind of a process to get it to convert from laptop to tablet. And I... Since the tablet is the primary use case, I want to the conversion point to be as easy as possible. So the obviously the um, the magic keyboard is super easy to convert because it's just the magnetic attach. It's got the trackpad, which is an extra benefit that puts it one up on the bridge. Bridge does make a trackpad model, but at least you know thus far it only it, it, it's it's trackpad is lacking it's basically emulating a yeah. mouse instead of a real uh, apple trackpad and as a result it's not as good so the magic keyboard is what i use when i'm writing in the backyard or uh, you know on the couch or something like that I, that is the setup that i'm using right now i mentioned that i do also write at the bar in my kitchen, I, you know, just mentally as a writer, sometimes I just need to change the scenery. I used to go to Starbucks once a week to do that. I haven't done that in a year. So, uh, but I also will do this and now have continued to do it where I have a little stand. Um, the one I've got is from a company called Viazon, but there are a bunch of them on Amazon and it's literally a little, uh, clip stand that makes it look kind of like a little tiny iMac. And it's got a pivot so you can have it be horizontal or vertical. And I put that on my bar top and then I, I have a, a bunch of mechanical keyboards and I, it, whether it's a USB one or a, or a Bluetooth one, I'll just bring out a keyboard and plop it down and I'll stand there and write articles. Um, and I'm using, I'm using one writer primarily to write, although I'm also using drafts sometimes as my writing tools on the iPad. And then, um, the other thing I do is I edit most episodes of The Incomparable, which is my pop culture po- podcast. It's been going for about 10 years. These days I edit most of those episodes and I edit them mostly on the iPad. Uh, using Ferrite Recording Studio and the Apple Pencil. And I tend to do that on, you know, Saturday mornings in my pajamas, either sitting on the couch or sitting in bed. And I, I edit the podcast that way. So those are my primary kind of like work things. Everything else is just sort of leaning back and scrolling through Twitter, like I said, or, or, or looking at Slack, things like that, that are fairly easy to do uh, without any extra devices at all. Just the just the iPad, the pure tablet surface. Gotcha. And you mentioned you have a MacBook Air, an M1 equipped one. Has the equation changed for when you grab that over the iPad now that you have a usable laptop? Honestly, 
uh, the M1, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going to use it. Like I said, I, it is a way to avoid the cold in the garage because I, I turn off the heater on the weekend and, and in, in the winter. I mean, it's California. It doesn't get that cold, but it's not pleasant to be out here without the heater on. And I have those moments where I'm like, oh, I need to do this thing that requires a Mac. And I'll, I'll pull out the M1. And there, I, I'm still exploring. There are definitely places where it's a better fit. I, I have been editing a podcast, a different podcast, using Logic, which is my primary Mac editing app on the m1 macbook air why that instead of ferrite mostly goes down to what that's a that's a total party kill which is this dungeons and dragons podcast that i produce and i'm on sometimes some of that is down to the fact that ferrite doesn't have a variable playback speed mode which means that you listen at one x and um for the dungeons and dragons podcast i'm doing really big picture edits i'm not getting down into fine detail and i don't need to listen at 100 percent. i set it to 200 percent, and then i slow it down when i need to do a detailed edit it's just much more productive it feels almost like lean back podcast editing in a way that using ferrite especially with the pencil is lean forward it's more intense and so i've been experimenting with that on the on the mac um, mostly because I, I I don't know because it just seems sort of like I'm I don't have to be as focused on it I can just sort of like let it wash over me and also I can play it back at much uh, higher speeds I'm hoping that Ferrite will get that feature at some point because I do love Ferrite and I would probably try it uh, try to use that that feature but in the meantime um, that's been a fun experiment but really I don't know if I'll stick with that or not I I'm so ingrained into not having a laptop and there are aspects of having that laptop out on my lap in the living room where I just think this is like, cause then I'm invariably, I want to switch to Slack or Twitter or, or, you know, see what's going on. And then I'm back in 2014 essentially. And I don't like it. Like I don't, I don't, I prefer the interaction on the iPad in those scenarios. So that reminds me that it's probably not, you know, the perfect tool for the job. Yeah. Editing at like 200 X speed. That sounds like a really interesting way to do some of those longer form shows that don't need as fine granular tuning that that'd be cool for ferret to add that someday yeah i mean he he has to basically the developer ferret has to overhaul his audio engine which i think he's doing i think that's partially because he also wants to bring it to the mac using catalyst which would be great because one thing that i can't do is a round trip between the two devices if i start a project on the mac i can't take it to my ipad and if i start on the ipad i can't take it back to the mac because logic and ferrite don't talk so um i'm looking forward to that and a, a side benefit of him bringing that app to the mac is that it might have a new audio engine which might someday be able to do very speed which would be a spectacular win for me anyway uh, so i hope he does that sometime but it's 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 a long time coming there's a lot of work that goes into it turns out although apple says oh catalyst it's easy it, there's actually a lot of work that goes in if you built a professional level ipad app to get it running running on the mac is a lot of work and i think he's been working on it for you know well over a year and it's still not doesn't seem close right now so there's yeah it, it's it's complicated yeah when i first started podcasting on the mac GarageBand was a perfect beginner's tool sure and now i'm not even sure where i'd send beginners audacity is kind of like ugly and confusing logic's 200 dollars. Uh, like i'm working on a on a, a series of tutorial videos of podcast editing and on the mac i just did the the garage band set uh, and I hadn't been in GarageBand in a long time because I bought Logic and I went into Logic and, and took the productivity hit in order to learn it. And then, you know, I paid that back a hundredfold since then. But 
in looking at GarageBand, GarageBand's fine. Like, GarageBand's free, and it works pretty well. And there are, like, three features that Apple could add to it and could have added a decade ago that would make it perfect for podcast editing. And they haven't added those features, so so you got to use a bunch of workarounds. But it can't beat free. And so if you're if you're editing podcasts on the Mac, I think GarageBand is perfectly well-suited for the task. The iOS version of GarageBand is not. Um, but the good news is, you know, Fairrite, I would say, is better than Logic, and Logic is a couple hundred bucks, uh, and yeah. Fairrite's like 20 bucks. So the, I, I, if you're editing podcasts on an iPad, Fairrite Recording Studio is the answer. It is spectacularly good. Whether you use the Apple Pencil or not, you can use it with just your fingers. It's a little faster with the pencil, but it works really well either way. So in the Mac, they haven't... Like on the iPad, it's just music, and it's kind of a pain to try to do voice. And I know they stripped out like the chapter markers, which were AAC only on the Mac. Right. But other than that, it's still a good voice experience. There's this kind of um, misconception that when Apple removed the podcasting features from GarageBand, which is a long time ago now, that's like almost 10 years ago, eight years ago maybe, that uh, it doesn't do podcasts anymore. And it's not true. Um, it moved. It removed a bunch of podcast-oriented features that weren't, you know, like you said, the chapter marker support was the wrong kind. It was for AAC podcasts. Nobody makes AAC podcasts. They all use mp3s so it's it's a perfectly fine tool it's got some issues and it's got some really um interface weirdnesses but it's literally GarageBand on the mac these days is logic it's like a light version of logic and underneath it's got logic's plugin architecture and you can and you know what i'm trying to do when i'm building this little tutorial is like you can literally set a bunch of great presets to compress audio and noise gate and all these things and GarageBand will do it on the mac it's just hard which is too bad, but it's free. You know, free is good. Yeah, very cool. There'll be a handy tutorial when that comes out. So the iPad got a trackpad last year and this magic keyboard. Yeah. How has the trackpad transformed the kind of work you do or enjoy doing now on the iPad? I think it's, I mean, I do find myself scrolling, two finger scrolling, which is, you know, I use a magic trackpad at my desk. So, and I use the MacBook Air for a long time. So those gestures are natural to me. And so being able to, to use those on the iPad, it really became second nature. I also reach up and touch the screen. And that's one of the things that on the Mac side, people talk about like, oh, well, you can't do a touchscreen Mac because nobody's going to want to touch the screen all the time. The answer is you don't touch the screen all the time. You touch the screen sometimes. You use your trackpad sometimes. And, and that's where I am with the Magic Keyboard is the same thing. It, it's nice scrolling is great i would also say just again as a writer text editing precision text editing with a cursor the touch controls aren't good for that they're just not the being able to precisely drop down a cursor and select and you know apple did some some work with um if you don't have a keyboard attached putting two fingers down and emulating a trackpad by putting two fingers down on the keyboard it's okay it works okay but it's it's still not as good as actually having the trackpad if you need to click in a word and delete one character and then add another character to fix a typo or select a couple of words and cut them and then paste them somewhere else like it's so much better uh, for writing and editing to have the pointing device attached to that keyboard and I'd say that's my number one for it is is just having the ability to do because I was already using an external keyboard right but adding the trackpad has made scrolling and precision selection so much nicer and you know really it's the editing thing like I've I've written a lot on the iPad but editing text on the iPad is without a trackpad is painful because you know it, it just is hard to get the cursor where you want it to go yeah something I found myself doing is remoting into 
I have an old 11 inch MacBook Air. That's the only Mac I have lying around. It's from 2011, but I remote into that. Yeah, on my iPad a lot because this trackpad has made that so natural. Do you find yourself doing that? that often i do i have a mac mini server in my uh, garage out here that that runs all the time and um when i'm at home but all on the ipad but also when i'm traveling it's sort of like if i need a mac i have my mac uh that i can connect with using screens the remote desktop app and screens supports the trackpad and it works pretty well it's it's kind of fun to have a mac as an app inside your yeah. ipad and i do there are still things there are very specific things that i can't do and i know that they're kind of funny ones but like one of the ones that I find when I'm traveling back in the day, when I traveled, that I that I would have to resort to the Mac for, I have a couple of scripts that generate text. Like the incomparable uh, is introduced by the text to speech voice from the Mac, and while you can do text to speech on the iPad, you can't do text to speech on the iPad and record it as a file to use in a podcast. It doesn't work. You can't. Shortcuts doesn't do it like you can't do it. And so I have a very clear memory of being in Hawaii, I want to say, and using screens to attach to my Mac Mini back here in California to run that one automator script that will generate that audio file, which I then copy back to my iPad so that I can get that sound file that I need to generate. And it's a little stuff like that. It's really kind of great to be able to do that with uh, with the iPad and and with the trackpad having the point device it makes it even better. I I bought so screens has this feature where you can launch screens on your phone as well as on your iPad and then your phone becomes like a virtual trackpad and I used that for a while uh, but this is better. Like this is better. Yeah, as you're saying about the script for the voice, I was just thinking uh, just the old school way would be grab an iPhone and record that line out yeah. into some recording. That, that would be the other way to do it, right? We, yeah. Which would be literally use two devices. And that's how that's essentially how I have to record podcasts when I'm traveling right. with an iPad is I have a I have an external recorder and a microphone that does USB and analog audio. And so I end up doing this setup where I've got my microphone going into the iPad so that the people on Skype can hear me, but also it's going into a, a, a recorder, an SD card recorder, and it's recording my voice that way so that I can have something to use because unfortunately iPad OS does not have a, a sophisticated uh, sound subsystem. The Max is very sophisticated. Uh, the iOS one dates back to basically the early days of the iPhone. And every time I'm listening to music on my iPad and I go to a web page that tries to play media and my music stops, I let out a shriek, basically, because mm-hmm. like that shouldn't hap- happen. But that's where we are even now with iPadOS and iOS, which is one app at a time can play audio, one, you know, one app at a time can grab a microphone. It's really primitive and bad, and I hope they fix it someday because that's a non-pro aspect of the iPad is that is that the audio stuff is not sophisticated at all. And so, you know, I can now travel and record podcasts, which is great, but I can't do it without extra hardware. Whether it's yeah. a, you know, whether, it, and there are different ways to do it, but uh, fortunately it used to be that I had to record the audio, but I couldn't get it off the, the, um, the SD card because, <laughs> right. because the iPad did not use to see storage devices, but that has gone away. So now it's actually fairly simple for me to travel and record podcasts on the iPad. I just need to bring 
you know, a recorder essentially to do it. Yeah, we used to need that little Wi-Fi router SD card d- device. <laughs> yes. Oh well, you you remember that? Yeah, that was that was the workaround. Was that there was this wacky device that was both a battery pack for your device, which is strange, <laughs> and it was a Wi-Fi router that you could plug an SD card into, and then it had a, a bespoke app that you could run on your iPad or iPhone that would see the storage in the router and you could copy that file from your SD card over Wi-Fi, which let me tell you, if you made the mistake, as I did sometimes of recording an uncompressed audio file instead of an MP3, it took forever to transfer that file over. And, And now... Being able to just attach, I can literally attach my recorder to my iPad using a USB cable and just import it directly using files, and it is you know full speed and great. So there, definitely, the iPad has come a long way. But there's there's more as a podcaster. There's more for the iPad to do. I, I really do want to get to the day where I can record my mic audio on my iPad and simultaneously have it be uh, sent over Skype and simultaneously record the contents of the Skype conversation. But um, that's not possible. Yeah, I mean, Skype and iOS, I can't even select which microphone I'm going to use. It'll just, do you want to use the internal or this USB one? Uh, We'll pick for you. And sometimes it's the internal that you have no control over. Yeah, again, it's a very primitive audio subsystem and you sort of get what what you get and, and you have to live with it. Yeah, do you have any tricks for having that USB mic be the one that Skype actually uses? Because most of the time, it just won't use it for me. I uh, <laughs> unplug, <laughs> unplug and replug, and unplug yeah. and replug until it seems to work is essentially my pro tip for iPad okay. <laughs> microphones. It's not great. It's not great. And if you find a microphone that is fairly consistent, uh, then use that one because it can also vary from microphone to microphone. I don't know what's going on there. It's uh, I think the USB-C on the iPad Pro models and now iPad Air too – uh, I found to be more compatible than the, going through a lightning adapter. Um, not only is it supplying more power, which is good for the microphones, but um, just not having to adapt from lightning to USB seems to make a difference. I, I found the the iPad Pros that have USB to be better sort of citizens in terms of attaching to USB microphones and other devices. Yeah, I was laughing back in the days of lightning. I had a lightning sure microphone, so it was MFI custom built for iOS and still Skype would not see it. It's like, come on. (laughs) So is your go-to way to export the audio just from the recorder or do you have a favorite SD card adapter? What kind of tools do you have for USB-C on the iPad? You know, I I had a a listener who sent me a a little USB-C dock, which was actually kind of cool and I have carried around with me. But honestly, most of what I've done is just bought cables for the devices that I use. So... I have a USB because people are like, oh, you need a dongle to do it, to attach this and attach that. Yeah. Uh, and, and for most things that are cable based, you don't need a dongle. You just need the right cable. So like my, um, my Zoom H6, uh, audio recorder has mini USB, which is the big, the big little one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I bought on Amazon, you know, a nice nylon, you know, braided, uh, mini USB to USB-C cable. And so when I'm traveling with that recorder, I can just plug that into both ends, uh, you know, the iPad and the recorder and put it in 
uh, storage mode and I can see the contents of its SD card and copy the file off. Easy. And the same way with my microphone had a uh, mini USB. So I bought a USB-C to mini USB cable and that's what I pack when I when I travel with that. That microphone has now been replaced by one that's USB-C. So now I need a USB-C to USB-C cable. But the point is, mm-hmm. for a lot of this stuff, if you've got a particular item that you need, unless it's sort of like got its own, I don't know, attached cable or attached port, you don't necessarily need to adapt it. You you probably just need to get some new cables. And the good news is that investing in USB-C cables is pretty a pretty good investment because that same connector will work on, um, you know, a Mac and uh, eventually we'll probably work on even more other you know apple devices it's certainly the ipad air has it now so you know I, I think it's a good investment and rather than trying to adapt is just have buy the right cables and have them live with those devices so that's that's right. generally what i do is i've just got you know i've got the cable that goes with the microphone and the cable that goes with the the recorder and any other devices that i bring with me although those are my two big ones are are, are the recorder and the microphone but like for a keyboard is a good example like i've talked about uh, using a USB keyboard with my iPad, and I I have a I, I those same cables actually. Most of these keyboards are either micro or mini USB to USB C, and then one of them I've got is a USB C to USB C. So again, I've got all those cables. It's pretty easy to do, and I just sort of keep the cable with the device so that they don't get separated. And that mini to USB C, you could probably use that to power the recorder when you're recording uh, with just your standard USB C power adapters as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, you can use that same thing with a power plug, and that's how. I, if you don't want to run on on battery, because those things will eat your battery away. They will. Yeah. You just use it as power because it it will do power too. It will also work as an audio interface, so you can put it in audio interface mode. And Ferrite, for example, will record. I don't know why you necessarily want to do this right now because it will record itself. But if you wanted to put it yeah. through something like Ferrite, Ferrite will record multiple tracks off of a Zoom recorder, so you could have six tracks coming in directly into your editing app on your iPad via USB that totally works so uh, there are there are lots of um, there are lots of options for what you can do and like I said we're, we're headed for a USB-C world and that's one of the nice things about the iPad Pro having USB-C is um, the, you know the, those cables aren't going to be bad investments because there will always be something you need that will either be mini or micro USB or it'll be eventually all USB-C yeah and I guess Thunderbolt 4, potentially, with the iPad uh, sooner or later, with I, now, uh, the Max getting it? Well, I mean, this is super computer nerd stuff, but yeah, the, I, the M1 Max use Thunderbolt 4, which is also the USB spec, so it, it contains both. So while the, the uh, 12-inch Mac Mini, or 12-inch MacBook, 12-inch MacBook, and... The iPad Pro are USB-C, not Thunderbolt. And if you attach a Thunderbolt something, they won't work. Yeah. In theory, um, down the road, everything Apple does will be this Thunderbolt 4 spec, which is continuous with USB 4. And so it should just, you wouldn't, won't have that issue anymore of like, will this work with? And since that's running up and running on the, all the M1 Macs that came out using, you know, Apple Silicon, the same, it's essentially a version of the same chip that's in the iPad Pro. It's probably likely that at some point the iPad Pro will just get the Thunderbolt 4 thing as well and and then be compatible with all the same devices. But still, I mean, it's still amazing to this day that I have some USB-C devices and I can just plug them in to my iPad, right. to my Mac. They just work. It's it's great. Yeah, same chargers between everything now. It's, yeah. it's, it's lovely. Uh, so 
when you're on the road, that'll happen again someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are the uh, big hurdles with working on iPad outside of audio recording? That's kind of a hassle still. I don't know. I mean, I think most of the hurdles beyond the audio stuff have have fallen away the fact that like one of the big hurdles was having a good keyboard and like i said the bridge keyboard did that for me um, but then the magic keyboard does that and adds the trackpad which is really really nice and so that has never been you know that was a pandemic product so i haven't traveled with it, it it's gonna fill the same niche as the bridge keyboard did for me when i traveled and and the beauty of that of course is you pop it off and it's just a, an ipad and then you snap it in and then it's a laptop and this is the thing that people every time i talk about this on twitter i get people who who just don't get it where they're like well why don't you just use a laptop and the answer is i can't tear the screen off a macbook pro and make it a tablet it doesn't it doesn't work for so many different reasons it doesn't work uh, but i can do that with the ipad and most of the time my ipad is just a tablet unless i i really am doing specific kinds of work so that's going to be a huge tool in in the uh in the tool chest for travel i do you know it's the usual kind of adapters you got to bring your chargers you got to bring your your cables it's super easy i i guess i'll throw out this is not quite an accessory but i became with the ipad pro i became a believer in the cellular model of the ipad i always poo-pooed it and was like oh well you can tether and whatever but it is so great to not have to worry about getting online with my iPad. And it was, I think it's $10 a month that I pay my carrier to just add my iPad, cellular iPad, to my cellular plan. And it uses the same data pool. And I have those moments. I have traveled a little bit in the pandemic because we took our, we had to get our daughter from college. And then, and then um, this fall we took her back and she's in an apartment with a couple of roommates and they're, they're staying safe, but we wanted to return her to, uh, you know, out of the clutches of her parents and to actually people her own age. Cause she's a college student. She should be a college student. Yeah. And that's, that's a couple of, you know, that's, that's like three or four 10 hour drives. And I had a moment while we were doing one of those where I realized I was on my iPhone and I was like trying to reply to somebody on Slack or Twitter or something. And I I thought, why am I doing this on my iPhone? And I just took out my iPad because the iPad is a cellular iPad. And if I've got service on my phone, I've got service on my iPad. And on my iPad, I can use the the, the magic keyboard or I can just just scroll through Twitter and then type on the touch screen. And that like for me, the $10 a month, it's totally worth it. Um, we're also on an unlimited plan now where AT&T doesn't want, want you to tether. <laughs> and so <laughs> this, this is, uh, so it would be a pain, but it's not a pain because I just, I've got the cellular iPad. I'm committed to it. It's beautiful. And I love, I loved back in the before times being able to go to a cafe and not worry about the cafe's Wi-Fi or their Wi-Fi password because I had 4G, you know, LTE yeah. and it was fine. And so I just didn't need to worry about it. So for me, when I'm traveling, that's actually the big, uh, winner is the cellular access stuff because you, when you're traveling, you don't know what your internet connectivity is going to be. But um, with that cellular iPad, I don't care as long as I can get service. Yeah, and I found that tethering often with carriers, it's much slower than having it natively on and with video streaming, that can be a problem. Well, yeah, you're 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 transferring over a wire over Bluetooth, you're transferring all that data, you've got to set it up. Apple has made some strides at getting it to auto-connect, but I, they never worked very well for me. And the iPad, it's just there. Plus, it'll happen where like our Wi-Fi will get go down at home and uh, we had a power outage uh, for d- related to wildfires, fall of 19. And, you know, the iPad was, until the cellular network went down anyway, the iPad was still on the on the internet. I mean, when we have a power outage and our Wi-Fi goes down, my iPad just switches to cellular 
Yeah, which as long as you have your cellular network is is pretty great. So, um, they're they're you know I can't I can't say enough about the the cellular stuff. I I was such a skeptic for so long, but having lived with it for a few years, it's not for everybody, but it's so nice to to have it, and it's worth it for me to use that. It is, yeah. Back in the days where I would use my iPad for turn by turn, the cellular also meant you got GPS, so that was like the best turn by turn device I had. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Email. Do you use just Apple's mail app or what do you use for email on the iPad? On the iPad, I just use Apple's mail app. I, I, um, I am a Gmail user and on the desktop, I actually use an app called Mailplane, which is like a custom web browser for Gmail, uh, which is great. Um, so you get kind of all the features of Gmail. The great thing about Gmail, I think, is the search. And I've never been a fan of Apple Mail on the desktop. And I, I, I can't find anything when I search. And the, the truth is, on the iPad, I also can't find anything when I search. So I do have the Gmail app on my iPad. I only use it to search for email. <laughs> and usually only after that search has failed in Apple Mail, which it does about half the time. Yeah. Most of the time, I just use Apple Mail. And with the new version of Apple Mail that's got the kind of three-column view, so that I can, because I've got a bunch of different mailboxes, I use I use SaneBox, which is a service that kind of autofiles your mail into an inbox and like a later and a uh, newsletter kind of thing. And and so I'm switching between mailboxes a lot, and that three-pane uh, design is very helpful for that in Apple Mail on an iPad in horizontal orientation. So that's all I use it for. Uh, you know, fortunately. I don't do a lot of email anymore. Like email has, has become a kind of check it a, a few times a day kind of thing because so much of my professional conversation, especially has moved to Slack. And so I don't, I don't sweat the email stuff um, like I used to, which is great. Cause I, you know, I don't know if anybody likes email. No, no, no one really does. these days. Um, so podcast editing, this is something yeah. that the iPad is really powerful at and has made me fall in love with just first off the modularity of, I'm in a long editing session. I can jump from keyboard trackpad to Apple Pencil to just pure touch. So you're a fan of the Apple Pencil. Is this kind of exclusively how you edit or do you jump around for like longer sessions? I exclusively edit on the Apple Pencil use, you know, using Ferrite these days. I occasionally will edit something with my fingers because I can and because I don't know where my Apple Pencil is. <laughs> but, and I'm, reminded because when i talk about editing with the apple pencil people are like oh i don't know about the apple pencil for that and it's like well you can do it with your fingers i find that the apple pencil is faster and more precise but i when i started editing with ferrite i used my fingers and in fact when i when i started actually when i started editing with ferrite i used my fingers and a bluetooth keyboard because i wanted to be able to do like play pause and stuff uh, without taking my finger away from the tracks and in ferrite the play pause controls are down at the bottom and so i just set up a bluetooth keyboard and just kept hitting the space bar and then editing and then hitting the space bar and fortunately because the developer of that it that app is super responsive and great i sent him a note and i said have you thought about doing a gesture for play pause and uh he sent me a beta like a week or two later where if you tap with two fingers anywhere on ferrite it will play or pause, at which point I didn't need the Bluetooth keyboard anymore and I just <laughs> used my hands. So you can absolutely do it. I know people who are super into the almost logic style keyboard and trackpad approach, a much more Mac editing approach. And it totally does that. It, it's got a bunch of different keyboard presets. You can get logic keyboard presets. You can get, I think, audition keyboard presets or Ferrite's own. So you can like 
customize your keyboard shortcuts and and treat it like you were on a Mac if you want to. I just decided that once I discovered the Apple Pencil thing, I preferred that. And and to get into the detail of why, Ferrite has a bunch of really great shortcuts involving mass selection or deletion. And that was what unlocked the most productivity for me is if you take your Apple Pencil and you've got audio tracks in Ferrite and you swipe from right to left with the Apple Pencil and drag over the parts of the file that you want to delete. And you can actually, I've got it set up to do right to left or left to right is a deletion tool. And that allows me to very quickly kind of go delete that, delete that, delete that. And a lot of my editing is cleaning up stray noises on different audio tracks. And it does all of that. And the precision thing is I don't I don't edit everything everybody says to take out all the stammers and the ums and uhs and stuff like that. But there are moments where somebody says something and then they they realize it's a mistake and then they correct themselves and I want to take that out and just have them say it right the first time. And that's where the precision of the pencil comes in because if you had an audio long enough, you can see like the waveform that's the shape of the sound and you know that they said three words and you can kind of see the words and you want to delete the first two words. And like with the pencil, you can surgically go and those words are gone. And then you tap three times to select all forward and then you pick and then you tap and hold to pick up every track in the rest of the project and you slide it back to close up the space of the thing you just deleted and it disappears and it's like magic. And I can do that in, you know, a fraction of a second using the Apple Pencil and with a with a finger our meaty little fingers, you know, you tap to select and then you've got to get the right gesture, which is sort of like a, a finger swipe from the top of the track to the bottom to split it in two. And then if you didn't quite get it right, you've got to kind of like open one of them and then close the other one and you can do it. And it's, it's miraculous. And then when I, when I first did it, I thought, oh my God, th- this is the beauty of the direct interface that of, of touch that we all learned with the iPhone and that the iPad also has. I had been editing podcasts for, you know, whatever, five, six, seven years. And I had a moment where I felt like I've never touched the podcast before. Like I, it really was that tactile a feeling where I was like, I'm reaching out and moving parts of the podcast. And it was so great. But the, with the pencil, it's just way faster and way more precise. And so that's mostly why I do the pencil. But you can you can do it with, you know, that's the beauty of Ferrite is the way it's been built is you can do it with uh, keyboard and touch. You can do it with keyboard and trackpad, keyboard and trackpad and touch, uh, pencil and touch, just pencil. I mean, I'm still touching the screen a lot when I edit with the pencil. I'm using that, that two finger gesture for play and pause. You know, you bring up different track controls and stuff like that. There's, there's lots of touch involved too, but the actual detail and swiping around in the track, I do all with my fingers, but the actual like surgery of podcast editing. Um, I love the pencil for that. In fact, it's the thing because I'm not an artist and I, I'm not a written note taker. My handwriting is terrible. It's the first time I ever really got the Apple Pencil. I used it in order to write about it, but it never meant anything to me. And when I started using Ferrite with the pencil, I just thought, oh, I see. I I get it. Because I finally found a use case where that precision meant something. And that's when I I got it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really try editing with the pencil. Well, I tried with the original Apple Pencil in Ferrite and it didn't have everything I needed. That two, that double tap gesture on the Apple Pencil Two, really made it 
a joyful experience because I programmed that double tap to do that select all command right. to grab all the audio before it was trying to grab all the audio after that. Um, do you use the double tap in any ways like that? So I always get excited about the Apple Pencil 2's uh, double tap gesture and I've tried it and I can never... I can never stick with it. And I think it's mostly because I accidentally trigger it too often. Oh, okay. And so I I use, to select all forward, I, I just triple tap on the screen with the pencil. Uh, even though I've tried, I think it's something about how I, like I said, I have terrible handwriting. I think I don't I don't hold pencils, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I, I find it really awkward to consistently make that gesture. And I found myself like, all right, I'm going to wire it up for this gesture or that gesture. It's going to be play pause. It's going to be select all forward. And then I would start to use it and I would have one of those like tap tap. Oh, that didn't work. Tap tap. Oh, that didn't work. Tap tap. There, I got it. And then I'd be doing something else and I'd actually accidentally issue a double tap command and i thought i gotta turn this off because i can more consistently just tap on the screen than to use that that gesture although it is the pencil too that did it for me the original pencil i tried with ferrite and i just never really got it but when when the pencil 2 came out i i decided to give it another go and i'm really glad i did because uh it's for for the for the stuff i'm editing and the way i edit it is the perfect mix. But I talked like my podcast co-host, Mike Hurley, I've talked to him about it and he's a real ferrite skeptic, I think because he's just so used to his workflow on the Mac. Yeah. But, but what he, I think what intrigues him about it and when he has tried it, you know, he's, he's doing the keyboard trackpad kind of thing, a more, an, an approach that he's more comfortable with. And I honestly, I think that this is one of the reasons why I love the iPad so much. When I talk to people like, why do you like the iPad so much? This is one of the perfect reasons, which is the iPad is what you want it to be. The iPad is a touch tablet, but if you want a trackpad, you can have one. If you want a keyboard, you can have one. If you want a pencil, you can have one. But it'll always be at its core a touch tablet, and the other stuff gets layered on if you want it. And Ferrite, I think, is a perfect example where you can use any of those accessories, and in combination, you can use them to edit audio, or you can just use your hands holding it holding the ipad in your hand and you can do that too you can so it's whatever works for you so mike might be really into keyboard shortcuts and trackpad and i've completely embraced the pencil but the ipad and the software that runs on the ipad is fine with that it's happy to let you do whatever makes you happy and that that makes me happy (laughs) in the trackpad fairy is so brilliant you hold shift it transforms the cursor into the selector tool it's just it's feels amazing to edit with the trackpad and the keyboard shortcut shortcuts are totally customizable so i have something right. totally custom it feels like a video game where i have the awsd kind of thing uh, as you would in a video game and i have it set up for editing not as many ipad apps have customizable keyboard shortcuts as there should be and that's one of those cases where i when i shout out about ferrite like that's one of the great things about it there are some great ipad apps that do but there are a lot that don't and and there are apps that i use that i i hold down that command key and look at their shortcuts and i think come on (laughs) like that they made (laughs) they've made no effort like uh, i have some writing apps that i use that like um, one writer is a good example. One writer doesn't let you bind a macro. So one writer is is a text editor that uses JavaScript macros. So you can write macros in JavaScript. Great. I'm not much of a JavaScripter, but you know there and there's there's other apps that do it in other languages. But I set up a macro that fires off a shortcut 
that auto posts whatever I or sends the contents of the document I'm working on to my website uh, as a draft. And then I check it out and I, I make it go live. And I've got a few different shortcuts that do that. And I use the macro system in OneWriter to launch it all. But like OneWriter doesn't let you bind a macro to a keyboard shortcut. You have to press a keyboard shortcut to bring up the window listing the macros. And even from there, you can't use the keyboard. So to post, I get to the end of the process and I have to go keyboard shortcut. What is it? It's not settable. It's whatever they say it is. And then I have to tap on mine on the screen and then it does its magic. And that's one of those cases where I just shake my head at that because I also, that's why I use drafts some of the time is that there are a lot of things that don't work for me about drafts, but on drafts, I have a version of that same macro and I, I go bloop to a, a set of keyboards that I chose or a keyboard shortcut that I chose and it runs my macro. So, you know, there's not enough keyboard shortcut customizability on the iPad. Even now I'm hope I'm always hopeful that this March toward like Mac catalyst and all of that and adding this new magic keyboard that, that more iPad apps are going to kind of get with the program and realize that people do ha- use keyboards on the iPad. Yeah. Uh, because like you said, it is kind of like its own little video game inside of Ferrite that you can make any keyboard shortcut, anything you want. It's pretty great. Yeah, it is. And it's just super powerful to realize that you can configure this how you want. And basically the reason I had that set up is I want one hand. This was before the trackpad came out and I had one hand on the keyboard it was like an external keyboard off to the side, and then yeah, the other hand was up on the touchscreen. Mm-hmm. It was perfect, yeah. Yeah, and th- that's a perfectly, you know, that was what how I started too, and that's a perfectly reasonable way to do it. Now, I, I realize that people listening to this who are not like it, editing audio are going to be like, boy, they keep talking about this app. <laughs> well, it's a great app, and, and it's also, uh, I think, an exemplar of what an iPad app should be. I, I would also say, just throwing it out there, that I think it's funny that it's been five years plus that Apple has been shipping uh, an iPad Pro and yet does not ship either Final Cut or Logic for iPad. And I think it's embarrassing. (laughs) I think that they've got a pro piece of hardware that they don't want their own pro apps on. And there are really good video and audio editors on the (laughs) iPad and they're not from Apple. And on one level, that's great because I'd much rather that Ferrite succeed than that Apple destroy it by releasing logic for, I think we may be past that point now, but I, I would much rather see these apps succeed than be killed by Apple. But at the same time, it makes me question Apple's software commitment to the iPad as a pro platform. The good news is there are apps like Fairlight out there that, and there are other, in other fields, there are other apps too that are really exemplars of what an iPad can do, not only in terms of power and ambition, but in terms of giving you the option to use it with touch or a keyboard or the pencil or the trackpad or whatever mixture you want. Yeah. Yeah. And LumaFusion's the big one for video editing. Yeah. And they're sure. about to roll out the feature that I've missed from Final Cut all these years. And that's the multi cam editing and, oh, yeah. and switching. Yeah. And they're going to add just the same way Final Cut does it, where you have simultaneously playing of all the videos. You just tap between them. So I, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. We've seen the M1 Max come out. And assuming that the new iPad Pro at some point gets essentially the, the functionality of the M1 Max in terms of speed. Like they're, it, they're very clearly based on the same chip design. It, it, the rumors are like the part number is apparently a follow-on to the the A12X and Z that are in the current iPad Pro and last generation iPad Pro models. So like, I I say this only to say that the speed of those systems is mind boggling. Yeah. And if you put that in an iPad, what does it enable? 
And part of me thinks maybe Apple will finally do iPad versions of their Pro software. And part of me thinks it won't matter because LumaFusion is going to be there and it's essentially final cut on the iPad now. And imagine it having the ability to encode video and deal with multiple video streams that much more effectively than it already does. That's pretty great. And yes, Ferrite will have even more. The reason that we, we set this up is the, the screenshot that I tweeted out was uh, editing the uh, year-end clip show version of The Incomparable, which had like 10 guests on it. So I had to edit that one I mostly edit in uh, horizontal orientation, but I had to edit that one in vertical orientation so I could see all the tracks. And that's why I tweeted it out is because seeing all those tracks, you're like, whoa, look at that iPad. It's got so many audio tracks. It's like, yeah, because the iPad can do that. It's it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. To record that episode, it's a really good year-end show. A lot of shows are just like clips of the entire year. You guys make it kind of fun where everyone brings their favorite moments and talks about why it was their favorite moment. Do you actually pipe in through like a soundboard app, the audio, so as you're recording, people can listen to what you're about to pipe in? Or yeah, I'm using. I've used other apps in the past, but right now I'm I'm pretty much an all rogue amoeba house now yeah. here for for <laughs> Mac stuff. So I am using Farago, which is Rogue Amoeba's soundboard app, and then I'm using Loopback, which is Rogue Amoeba's virtual audio input and output software so i basically create a a microphone quote unquote for skype that is my microphone and the output from farago and that means that when i play clips they go through skype to the people on the other or zoom whatever we were we're using zoom we're using zoom yeah we were but whatever it doesn't matter it's a virtual microphone so it means that the audio coming out of that app or the audio coming out of my microphone it's mixed together and sent to everybody and then i'm using audio hijack also from rogamiba to record those tracks separately so it works it's it's not uh, a setup i use most of the time um because i don't need a soundboard most of the time but it is uh it's a nice thing and and that's one of those things that's just impossible to do on something like an ipad without having a bunch of outboard hardware and and you know you could do it with a bunch of outboard hardware but that's what would be required right and something great about the ipad you said you could just flip it vertical and then you have more room to see everything yeah that that's the beauty of it. like the the my issue with editing complicated you know 10 people podcasts on the ipad is about the screen not about the the power of even the even the 2018 ipad pro the power is not a problem 10 tracks of uncompressed you know way mono waves is not a problem it really is i want to see them all and i can't see them on the screen but fortunately i can just turn the screen vertically and that works it's you know ergonomically it's a little bit different but it totally works it works fine if you're doing this on your imac pro because the screen's so much larger horizontal would be fine in that situation i'd gather yeah i mean that's basically yeah and you 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 know you shrink them down if you need to but basically the the it's a 27 inch screen it it all fits (laughs) it's fine yeah so scribble came out with this last os uh chapter markers or something that i'd like to add to the podcast i know it your shows have them, many of them at least. Do you use Scribble for that or a virtual keyboard or do you do that part in Fairwrite? Like I said, I am bad at handwriting. And so I have used that and I can't decide if Scribble is just getting in my way or not. I, I kind of would say I think Scribble just gets in my way. There are times when, yeah, I'm adding a chapter and instead of sliding up the keyboard, it gives me a little space for me to, 
to write in Scribble. And I think, oh, yeah, right. I need to write this out. And then I'll try. And it usually doesn't capitalize it right or it gets something wrong. And then I have to edit it later on. I thought, well, why am I even bothering using the right. pencil there? I mean, the idea is that it's not breaking your hand grip by having you put the pencil down and type something and then pick the pencil back up. And I, I totally get that. But for my purposes, if I was just jotting down a note or something, it wouldn't be a problem. But editing podcasts, uh, the chapter marker and the title of the episode and all those things, they need to be exactly right, right down to the way they're capitalized and stuff. And Scribble is not good for exact. It's good for get it down. And so I, I don't, yeah. I don't really, and that's the only thing I use the pencil for. So I basically don't use Scribble. I've tried it. It does a better job at my terrible handwriting than I expected, but in practice, I think I'm, I'm better off just putting the pencil down and typing with the keyboard. Yeah. The capitalizations would always messes me up with the chapter markers in Ferry. It just does things I don't expect or want. <laughs> yeah. And then something I noticed in your screenshot was these automation tracks that I don't really use a ton of. How do you use these for you know, controlling volume and panning. So automation is the concept of, of, of right, changing panning stereo or, or changing volume. And uh, so that's how you do a fade out in logic or in ferrite is this thing called automation. If you think about it, if you've never done this before, it's the idea of uh, there's like a line and a fade out would look like it goes below the audio track and a fade out would be the line starts at essentially 100% audio and there's a little dot that says I'm going to make a change to where the line is and then the line goes down kind of diagonally to zero and and that's a fade out and, and it's just the volume cranking down. So Ferrite has a customizable toolbar so I actually put the show hide automation on my toolbar so I mostly don't see it because all I'm going to do is mess it up if I see it i'm going to tap on it and i'm going to make the volume wrong and it's bad but what i do is like i do need to adjust the volume especially for the music uh, when it's coming in and fading out and so you know you you select a track and you say add volume automation and then you can use the pencil or your finger or whatever to to set the sort of like the fade in and the fade out and fair will let you do bezier curves which i hate or just straight up straight lines, which I like. Yeah. And and uh, you can do it. I, I have a couple... That episode in particular has a couple of stereo effects in it for editorial reasons. And same deal, right? You you add a uh, panning automation. Um, you don't need an automation if, if you just want to set a volume for the whole file or a stereo location for a whole file. This one's panned to the left. This one's panned to the right. But if you want to move it which is what I wanted to do in that episode. I have a moment where I'm playing a clip and somebody is trying to talk back to the clip, even because they don't realize it's a clip. They think it's real people. It's a very funny moment, but it's very hard to figure out what's going on if you listen to it in mono. And I decided I was going to push the clip to the right and the person to the left so that if you're listening on st- in a stereo speakers, you're going to get the effect of one person trying to talk to the clip. Uh, better and that required automation right because i didn't want to pan that person the whole time and i didn't want to pan the clips the whole time um so yeah i i keep it hidden mostly because it's so easy to mess up uh track automation but um fortunately ferrite has a show hide automation command so that's really (laughs) easy to do so i generally i edit with the automation um completely invisible yeah i'll give that more of a shot because often i'll just create a separate track if i want a sound effect at a different volume yeah music track yeah and i i do that sometimes i think 
I prefer for cleanliness reasons to not have uh, superfluous tracks only because... For just one piece of audio, yeah. Yeah, well, it, if you can't, especially if you're struggling because you've got a lot of tracks, you're struggling to fit it all on the screen. If you've got, even if it's that superfluous track, but it's down off the screen, it means that you can accidentally scroll up and down and then you lose some of your tracks. And it's just like, I like to have all the tracks that are in my project visible. And so I will often, if I have a lot of tracks, I will double up and I'll use somebody's audio track as the music track because I just don't want to add an extra track. It's not because of the processing power. It's literally, and if I could, you know, if I could like hide or collapse a track, which I don't think you can do, but if I, that would be the other way to do it. So, you know, generally, but really that's, you make the good point, which is it's really about not about setting a volume. It's about a change, right? The automation requires you to fade out. You can't, you have to use automation to do that. That's that's how you do a fade. And and I do that with, you know, my opening theme for The Incomparable starts at like 75% volume um, and then has to go, has to duck down a little bit when the announcer speaks and then has to fade out as I come in. So I've yeah. got to do multiple automations. Now, the nice thing in Ferrite, and this happens in other apps can do this too, is Ferrite will record automation as you're playing it. So to do the fade... I don't necessarily even have to use the pencil. I press play and I hold my finger on the volume slider in Ferrite. And then as it fades out, I just literally change the volume and it records all of that in automation. So you you can actually just sort of ride the dial uh, (laughs) and make it louder and quieter. And it, it records all of that and and reflects it in the project and then you can edit it if you want and that's a that's a pretty cool thing that's a very pro audio kind of feature but um it's uh once you get used to it it's actually a lot easier to just listen and fade things out when you think they should be faded out (laughs) instead of looking at waveforms and tapping with your pencil and you know and doing it that way and then playing it back to see if you got it right. Do you use the strip silence feature at all? I, I do that quite a bit, uh, strip silence and tighten to get a good starting point. Yes. So strip silence is a feature that Logic has. They call it remove silence, I think now, that basically, if you think for people who don't edit audio, you got a big you got a big audio file. It's an hour long. It's a podcast. Uh, and it's one block. And if you want to edit and take things out and move things around, one block is inconvenient. You have to chop it up into little bits. And what Remove Silence or Strip Silence does is it takes all the parts of that track where the person is not talking and removes them. And so you end up with little bits, little blobs. And all the blobs are where there was a sound, which I love. This is how I edit podcasts because it means you can see without even listening, you can see somebody made a noise there. And then you can jump there and say... What was that noise? Do I want to keep that noise? I don't. That was, they tapped the microphone, they coughed, whatever. I'm going to take that out. And it's my method of editing podcasts rapidly, especially with lots of people involved. I focus much more on the edges where there are interruptions or, or the places where there's sort of sound garbage in the middle. Somebody's talking and somebody else made a noise and I clean that up because I want it to be, it's distracting. You don't need it there. So it's great. I I found that in logic. It became my method of, of editing. It, It is not, I don't think a very common method of editing audio, but for me, the moment I, I figured that out, I thought, oh, I got it now. Because now everything, every noise is visible and it's all a little piece and I can slide them all around and I can make them do my bidding. And and Ferrite has that feature too. And I use it absolutely. It is fundamental to what I do. They also have, as you mentioned, the Titan feature, which I don't use as much because I mostly do it myself. Yeah. But for some large projects where there's lots of pauses and I just don't, 
I'm not planning on giving it a heavy edit. The Titan feature basically just, if, if somebody asks a question and somebody thinks about it for three seconds and then answers, the Titan feature collapses that three second empty space where literally nothing is playing and takes it back down to you set a minimum distance. And so all those three second pauses in your file become three tenths of a second pauses. And you end up with over a course of an hour, you might save um, a minute. Of, of just pure silence. And yeah, if you're listening on a pod, a, a sophisticated podcast app, it will remove that silence. But, um, I always believe like I'm, if I bake it in, it's even better because that was my decision to do that. This is my point where I'm going to brag a little bit because one of the things that I find amazing about Ferrite is how well it covers everything I do to edit podcasts. And it turns out that the guy who wrote Ferrite read my articles about how I edit podcasts and logic and use that as his guide to build ferrite. (laughs) Uh, So it's a perfect fit for me. I don't know about everybody else, but it works great for me because he actually used my blog posts about editing in logic as a milestone for him or a milepost, I guess about, about uh, what kind of features he should put in his app. And I think that I'm the reason that that feature is in there, but it's great. And I use it all the time. So thanks to, to Canis from Wooji juice, the developers of ferrite for, uh, for uh, using me as inspiration and giving me a great tool. I mean, it's it's the only time in my 20 plus year career where I seem to have had an app that was kind of built for me. And it's, it feels really good. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's nice. That, that's like, it has everything. And I had forgotten that he had emailed me and asked me a bunch of questions. And then I got the beta of it and I, I was like, this is amazing. And he said, well, yeah, I talked to you about it like a year ago. And I was like, <laughs> I found the email. I'm like, oh yeah, that guy, right. He did it. He actually wrote the app. So yeah, it's pretty funny. But I, if if you're editing audio and you haven't tried Strip Silence, like I, I guess you said you use it. It's it's yeah, it's, it's great. You the right th- set the right threshold, and that can be yeah, hard to and it out. saves you a lot of work because you're going to have to chop up the little audio tracks here and there anyway. But it's a lot of extra work if you want to move a whole bunch. And a lot of people use like a ripple delete, which is another way of doing it. But I find it to be less precise and and using strip silence and then selecting all forward which is the other part of that so you can select all those little blobs when you need to move them uh works for me and my goal my goal ultimately and you may have guessed this from some of my descriptions of apple pencil my goal ultimately is to make it as efficient as possible i want to i don't want to linger i want to edit the podcast as fast as i can and get it out and move on with my life and so anytime there's a feature where i can figure out a way to use it as a strategy to be faster i will i will take that feature (laughs) and so strip (laughs) silence strip silence is that because like seriously when one person is monologuing and you see little blips on other tracks I don't even listen. I just delete them because yeah. that's either an uh-huh or it's somebody, you know, somebody's cat meowing. And and I know that it doesn't belong there and it, I don't want it there. And Strip Silence lets you see that stuff clear as day. It's so great. Mm-hmm. And so fast an Apple Pencil to just delete that. With yeah, just whoop. You just you know, yeah. slide your pencil over it and it's it's gone. Yeah, with Ripple Delete, I'm always worried it's going to make the tracks unaligned, so I don't use that that often. I'd like to be in control when I move stuff around. Yeah, I mean, done right, it's going to pull everything back. But my always my feeling was always like I'm never as precise with my delete as I should be. And the Ripple Delete, if you're not precise with it, you've got to undo it and do it again because you did it wrong and now everything's messed up. And I yeah. I find it, and this is this maybe says something about my personality, but like. I would rather make sure I make the right change and then pull everything back exactly where I want it myself and not have the computer do it for me. 
but that's me. Yeah. Plugins are kind of wonky on iOS. I've used Bruce Free um, for cleaning up background noise. Yeah. Mostly I just use that externally in its own app and then export that into Ferrite. Have you had any luck with these? Uh, mixed. There are a bunch of audio plugins for iOS now. They're using the same plugin architecture as the Mac, basically. And the challenge is, honestly, they can work brilliantly, but oftentimes because the iOS audio plugins is such a an esoteric field, the developer of the plugin is only looking at one app or two apps, and then you use a different app and it doesn't work right, and they say, oh, we've never heard of that app. And I've had that happen where I, I, I have like at least three times connected the developer of Ferrite with a developer of an audio plugin and said, what are you doing? <laughs> like, talk to each other. One of you is making a mistake here. And I have managed to get some of those apps fixed and they work. Like there, there's some like high-end audio compressing tools that work pretty well uh, now and they, they were broken and I emailed them and they're like, oh, we didn't know about that app and they worked with the Ferrite guy and they figured it out. There are other developers who have not done that. They, I, I have used a compressor plugin on the Mac called Corfpressor uh, for a while and from Clevgrand. And they just said, it's fine. It works fine. And it, it fails often silently uh, in, uh, in Ferrite. And so I can't yeah. use it because it just, when it, when it fails, all audio ceases. And then I have to go in and quit the app and restart it and remove all of the plugins and then audio will play again. And it's just like, I can't live like that. So it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm actually hopeful because of catalyst that, and because you can use those plugins on the Mac as well, that there will be some syncing up that will happen. And that eventually we'll get to a place where all the stuff that's on the Mac is on iOS. But you know, that's, I didn't even mention it earlier, but like one of my key things beyond recording that I do on the Mac is removing noise and although there are noise removal apps and plugins for ios the gold standard for me the best of those is isotope rx and isotope does not exist on ipad yet and i hope they will bring it over at some point because i'll pay for it again Um, i would really like to be able to do so if i'm on the road traveling and i get a file and it's noisy i've got some other apps i can use but it's never the the quality that i uh I could get from the Mac. And that's one of those cases where using screens to connect back to my Mac here to process that file, I could do it. But the problem is I can't hear it. <laughs> so <laughs> I just have to hope that the denoising worked okay. Uh, and those files are huge. So transferring them takes forever. Yeah. I remember many years ago, there were some of the screen sharing apps that like sent audio via some weird technology that developed, but those haven't really panned out. Yeah, exactly. So something I love about Ferret is combining apps. So on the Mac, I'd use Levelator and the Podcast Chapters app to finalize audio files. But in Ferrite, I kinda, it's kind of all built into the app. It is. It is. Yeah. Do you use additional tools for your finalization of the podcast that you produce? On the iPad, I don't. Um, Ferrite has um, eclipsed everything else that I needed. It does chapters. It does... I, have a, I put a master compressor filter on the master file so it sort of levels everything out at the end and then it has its own leveling system that you can also use if you want to like completely let go you can just say level this on export and it levels it and it and for a while when the mp3 file format was still patented it didn't it would only export out a wave but then the patent expired and now it so now, now i can get a leveled chaptered with show art, with all the tags, MP3 file. And I literally will just export it and FTP it using a, a FTP app 
up to my file provider. Like it's, it's entirely just done by ferrite on the Mac. I don't process the audio outside of logic. I'm the same thing. I've got a compressor plugin on the, on each track and I've got a compressor plugin on the master, but I do use Marco Arment's forecast to tag and put in show art and, you know, and it converts chapter markers in logic into chapter markers for MP3. So I use Marco's tool on the Mac, but on iOS, I don't need anything other than Ferrite, which is one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to Ferrite eventually coming to the Mac is that it's it's all in there. It's right. be- a beautiful thing. Yeah. I use the built-in leveling on Ferrite, but I do it just for the voice tracks and leave all the sound effects and music uh, uh, separate. Right. I mean, the, the approach that I was taught that I, so- I sort of still follow is you want to... Um, you want to compress the voices so that the voices all sort of sound about the same volume and you don't compress the music. And then what I, what I was taught is applying a master compressor to the master track. That's a lot less aggressive than the ones you put on the voices, but it kind of is a final evening out of everything and it's not going to kill your music, but it, it might make your music and your voices smooth out a little bit. I don't know. I find I find like all volume control stuff in audio perplexing to this day. I still don't entirely understand um, how uh, my compressor settings on my Mac satisfy me and the ones on my iPad don't. And I don't know why, because they're the same settings. And I just like I, I it's an ongoing process. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, does Level Litter still run on M1 Max? Did that survive the transition? Because that was the gold standard for many years. So Level Litter... Which is, yeah, which is a leveling and compressing uh, tool. It it basically got abandoned, but it was brought back last year and is in the Mac App Store and is free. And pe- people should get it because it's pretty great. And because they redid it, I believe it does. I haven't tried it because I don't use it on a day-to-day basis, yeah. but I... I I think it came back and it runs on Catalina, so that means it's 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 going to run at least in emulation on M1 Max. So yeah, that was a big. I, I kind of couldn't believe it. That was an abandoned app and it was dead and gone and forgotten. And all of a sudden, it's in the Mac App Store. So they brought it back. Yeah. Do you use the templates at all in Ferrite for your shows? I do. Um, that was a feature that he added that I I actually really liked. Um, I use te- I use templates on the Mac too. I make. A standard file and save it out and zip it and make new versions from the zip archive on the Mac. I haven't, I even have like a little script that I run that says, which show would you like? And it puts an unzipped copy on the desktop and we'll actually check on the internet and see what the next episode number is and put it in there. So I don't have to look it up. It's great. So I will do that on the Mac, but on the iPad, there are the template systems inside of a ferrite. And I use that for the incomparable, at least I'm not sure. I think I've got some other ones in there too, but for the incomparable, which is the primary one I do, I've got it set up. It's got the theme song in there. It's got a certain number of tracks for my sort of average number of participants. It's got the show art. So I don't have to find the show art every time. And then in a nice touch, it actually asks you what the number is and what the date is. And then it'll insert the number and the episode number in the right places and stuff like that too. So I absolutely do use that feature, it's really nice. And then at the end of the process, I, like I said, I upload the file and then I archive the project and save that on my big server so I can get to it later if I need to. Nice. And then do you delete the stuff on the iPad or do you wait until your iPad's kind of full and 
clean stuff off. Once I've archived it, I delete the files. And then once I've airdropped the archive back to a Mac, I delete the archive. But Ferrite recently added a feature where when you delete something, it sits in a holding bin for 30 days in case you regret it. Uh, and then it auto deletes it. And that's nice because now I just don't worry about it. I, I don't worry about deleting things because I know if if I regret it, it's going to be almost immediately and they're they're in the holding bin and then it's not going to eat up too much disk space because after 30 days it's going to wipe those things out right and then last very question any custom settings that you enable in ferrite whenever you set up it on a new ipad i i do have some custom settings but it's the stuff i already talked about which is like okay what uh what do the swipes with the pencil do in terms of deletion what do the swipes with two fingers do in terms of selection and deletion because that's one of the challenges is that like how do you do a mass select of like a block of tracks for like a a a small amount of time which happens if i like take a parenthetical part of a conversation and move it somewhere else in the conversation that does happen and in ferrite what you do is you do a two-finger swipe a certain direction deletes the other direction selects and so i've got those those aren't all set up to the defaults i think i i've customized all those gestures and the play pause double tap or play pause tap with two fingers you know i i've made some changes there but since I'm using the pencil. Most of my customizations are just uh, a a few hand gestures and sort of the double, triple taps, uh, you know, uh, or it's that kind of stuff. So nothing, nothing too particularly spectacular. Gotcha. And anything else about ferrite before we wrap it up? I feel like we've covered it in, in, in great detail, but it is like, you know, it, it is, uh, it, it was a revelation for me and it's still one of my favorite things that I do. It's one of the reasons why I, I enjoy editing a podcast that I've been doing every week for 550 weeks or something like that at this point is it is it is actually a pleasure to edit a podcast on the iPad using the Apple Pencil and and getting back to what I was saying about actually touching it the tactile part of it it feels handmade in a way because it like it literally is but it, I I feel a connection to the material a connection to the the podcast it it it, it provides a level of delight uh, whereas, you know, editing with my trackpad and keyboard on a, on a Mac and logic is more industrial in a way. And I, I can't really explain it other than, you know, so, there's something about the way using those, using the pencil and using my hand, it does something different in my brain. I mean, it's, it's gotta be that it's gotta be that simple that it makes, it makes a connection that, um, that just sitting at, at my keyboard on my Mac doesn't. And, uh, so I love it. Yeah. I mean, they say writing stuff out by hand, you learn it better and there is something different about the tactile nature of doing by hand. Absolutely true. And I think that you see that when you're, whether you're using a pencil or just your hand on the screen, it is tactile and it's firing off different parts of your brain than are fired off when you're uh, pushing your finger on a trackpad. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today chatting. This has been just a pleasure learning more about how you do this editing and uh, your work on the iPad. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to talk about. I don't get to talk about it that much. And uh, thanks to everybody who stuck with me through detailed conversations about uh, editing audio on an iPad. <laughs> That's a little esoteric, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Where can people find your amazing uh, writing and the podcast that you do? You can go to sixcolors.com, which is uh, where my writing and links to all my writing is. I do a couple of podcasts at relay.fm. Upgrade is the tech podcast and liftoff is the space podcast. And if you go to theincomparable.com, you can find that's my podcast network. I'm not on all the shows, but I'm on some of the shows, including the main show, The Incomparable. And I'm Jay Snell on Twitter. You can find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jason. Really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Well, that's been an interview with Jason Snell. My thanks to Jason for his time recording this episode, and my thanks to you for tuning in and listening to iPad Pros. Make sure to check out Jason's work at sixcolors.com and listen to his fantastic podcast at the Incomparable Network and on Upgrade and Liftoff. As a reminder, head on over to patreon.com slash iPadPros to support this show. And with that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.